Good morning. And welcome to worship today. Special welcome to friends, guests, and visitors we have with us, and to those who are joining us online. We're, we're very glad to be with you gathered around the presence of Christ and word and sacrament this morning. We have uh, several announcements um, to make today. Uh, first of all, you're probably most mostly aware that we had to cancel our Ash Wednesday service this year due to uh, the weather, but we are going to have uh, a time for imposition of ashes um, following the hymn of the day today. So if, uh, if you uh, felt like you missed out on, on getting uh, your ashes on your forehead or on your hand this year, there will be an opportunity for that as we begin our season of Lent. We're also, you'll notice as we get into our bulletin today, that we're, we're introducing a new liturgy for the season of Lent, a liturgy called Size Too Deep for Words. It was a, a liturgy commissioned by a few Lutheran congregations in uh, the Twin Cities um, uh, in response to the 50th ordination of, uh, anniversary of the ordination of women in the LCA, the 40th anniversary of the first woman of color ordained in the LCA, and the 10th anniversary of LGBTQIA plus people being able to serve as pastors and deacons as well. Uh, so it was, that was the anniversary um, that they were celebrating. So the, the liturgy centers um, the experiences and the places in the Bible, uh, the experiences of women in the Bible and in everyday life. Um, so you'll notice that uh, in, in the language. Uh, that's kind of part of a, an emphasis here the past few years at Trinity where we're trying to expand our, our language and imagination um, for the divine. All that being said, it's a new liturgy. It'll probably take us a little bit to learn. I'm still learning it, so if, if, uh, if something goes a little bit wrong, it's most likely my fault. Um, but uh, I hope you'll join me in, in learning it today. Uh, please take a look at the announcements printed in your bulletin. Uh, I want to highlight that after church today, we're having our first um, discussion in a series on ELCA social statements. Social statements are teaching documents put out by our wider church, our national church, the LCA, um, to give theological and biblical guidance on, on, on uh, pressing topics. And our first discussion will take place on the ELCA social statement on abortion, which was put out in 1991. So uh, we'll be gathering in the library to discuss that social statement. I hope you'll stick around for that. Uh, starting next Sunday after worship will be our grief support group, which will meet in the library as well. So I wanted to highlight that so we can continue to spread the word about the grief support group starting soon. There are several other announcements printed in your bulletin. I'll invite you to read those, but I'd also like to invite Vicki Olson to come forward and share a little bit about our food drive. Thank you, Vicki. Good morning. Okay, I'm not sure if some of you might have read on the uh, Trinity Lutheran membership Facebook page, but uh, uh, Kathleen Dornan actually started something, <laughs> and um, uh, I chimed in on it, and Dina Hipke, thanks to her, she also chimed in on it, and we found out some more things. So. Uh, what it was is uh, what she, she was discussing Lent with some friends, is what she, Kathleen said. 
and she remembered someone giving up coffee and had to promise all those near her and dear to her that she would not give up coffee ever, ever again. So right there I, I started laughing, and which is great. And so this year, Kathleen actually decided uh, that for Lent, she wanted to give something to those who have been less fortunate than she has, and, that, and she thought to carry it over into Trinity. Um, so she called the Goodman Center, the food pantry, and she wondered what would be helpful. And they actually said that there's a whole wish list out there on the web of what they actually really need. But then they thought, well, you know what? Uh, her thought of food and snacks for kids that Kathleen had suggested was well received by the Goodman Center. They had said that sweet cereals are really needed right now even though they might not be healthy, but kids don't like always like the healthy. They like them to eat, and some of them are, are okay, and they would give them, you know, in moderation or whatever. But um, so they said, you know, let's look at some of that. And so that's what we've decided uh, is look, we're going to do some of that. Still some healthy stuff. I mean, if you want to bring healthy stuff, that would be great. But we're also going to do this throughout Lent. Now, uh, one thing, um, what I did is, is I made like some signs along, Dina made some signs, but I made some takeaway signs uh, with lists of what is on the Goodman wish list. So they are um, like a quarter of the size of paper and they're on both sides and the front side is the food and, and I put them out on the table in the lower narthex and uh, please take one and when needed we'll refill it but that way you don't have to jot down something they need or don't have to go on the web if you don't want to, okay? So those are there along with the full list and also uh, Dina came up or told me that um, on the 14th of March, uh, the Boy Scout Troop 34 is going to be doing a scouting for food drive. They will be collecting anything that we bring and you put it on the lower narthex table and we'll get it into bags and boxes and the scouts will take it to the food pantry on the 14th. We will have someone and if the scouts come back and, and take it knowing that we're doing this that's fine but if not we will get the food to the food pantry throughout the Lent season. So bring what you can anytime during the Lent season and place it on the lower narthex table. And the details will be in the weekly bulletin, and um, that's pretty much it. One thing that uh, was also brought up is that with the ending of SNAP food share extensions next month, there will be many, many families in need, and we can help them. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Vicki. And so uh, please see the display in the lower narthex for for more information. Are there any other announcements we should make today? If not, we will uh, begin our service with our prelude music.
please stand as you are able and face the baptismal font. As we gather for worship, let us come to God in silence, offering in prayer our sighs and breath. We do not know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs, with sighs too deep for words. Sighs, with sighs too deep for words. Praise our wonderful Maker, who wove our bodies from the depths of the earth, hems us in behind and before, and will knit us back together. Amen. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Have mercy, O God. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us. Jesus said, the realm of God is like a woman baking bread. She adds a pinch of yeast to flour and the dough rises and grows in ways we never imagined. By this ever-expanding grace, God fills us with new life. We are freed to love our neighbors as God first loved us. Amen.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. kneel before God praying show me mercy show me mercy we shout for justice pray. Present in garden and wilderness, O God, you form a people born of breath and earth, drawn forth from water and spirit. Yet we are tempted, we trespass. We forget how you have shaped us and who you have formed us to be. In this season of renewal, walk with us in the gardens of our lives, strengthen us in the wilderness of our days, that we might put our trust in you and live. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. First reading is from the second chapter of Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall die. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Blessed are they who seek wisdom, who treasure. who treasure her ways and follow her paths. Mercy embraces the who trust in the Lord. Mercy embraces those who trust in the Lord. Happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. i 
it with bit and bridle, or else they will not stay near you. Great are the tribulations of the wicked, but the man embraces those who trust in the Lord. Be glad, you righteous, and rejoice in the Shout for joy, all who are true of heart. He embraces those who are The second reading is from Romans 5. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Blessed are they who seek wisdom. made flesh dwells among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise to you, word of life. Please be seated. Welcome to the beginning of our season of Lent, dear friends. May grace and peace be with you. In the name of Jesus, who struggles alongside us. Amen. You've heard me say this before, and I know I'm going to probably say it in exactly these words sometime again. But Jesus does for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. If this were not the case, I'm not sure why we would bother you know, getting up at a somewhat inconvenient hour of the week and worshiping every Sunday. If we could make things right between us and God on our own, by our own merit, by our own insight or wisdom, by our own strength, we could just as well have stayed home. If you could fix the problems of the world, if we could right the wrongs of history, if we could undo the innocent suffering of the poor and forgotten on our own, then why would we need the cross and the resurrection of Christ? Why would we bother worshiping if we thought we could do it on our own anyway? That's the truth for us this morning, but I think we sometimes still secretly think we can do it probably on our own, too. But we also recognize that we can't do it on our own, that we are people, we are a world in need of a Savior, in need of healing and mending of a new creation. Christianity is not a bootstrapping ideology after all. We do not worship our own self-sufficiency. We instead worship the sufficiency of God's grace for us and its power to transform. As Paul describes from his own story in 2 Corinthians, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient for us, for you, and we need Jesus because he has accomplished for us all that we are unable to accomplish for ourselves. And he is therefore worthy of our praise, worthy of getting up for on a Sunday morning, worthy of our worship. Jesus is why we bother being here today. Amen? Every year on the first Sunday in Lent, our schedule of reading serves up a version of the temptation of Christ by the devil in the wilderness. The connection between this story and our observance of the season of Lent is partially related to that 40-day length of time. Remember that 
Lent is a 40-day season, and Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. So the temptation story, in a way, provides a biblical model for our Lenten observance and practices. This story also happens very early. It became important very early in the history of Christianity. It appears in Mark, the earliest recorded gospel, and it appears in whatever common source Matthew and Luke were copying off of because their versions share some similarities. So early on in the Jesus movement, at least within a few decades of Christ's resurrection, people started passing around this kind of strange story, a story that no one saw because it was just Jesus and, devil, Jesus and the devil in the wilderness. It's a story about Jesus being tempted after his baptism by Satan. It makes you wonder why this story was so significant, why they continued to pass it around, why they bothered writing it down three times in our Bible. Why did this story st stick out? One of the details that has bothered me over the years is that the, all three versions tell us that it's the Spirit that takes Jesus into the wilderness for this temptation. Mark's version says that after Christ's baptism, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So Jesus has this amazing moment where the, sky, you know, the heavens open up and God says, you are my son, my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And right after that, the Spirit of God sends him out into the wilderness to be tested by the devil for 40 days. So, you know, whiplash there. Matthew's version, which we read today, is a little softer. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But it's still from baptism to the wilderness. So according to the story, Jesus doesn't just happen to fall into a time of temptation by chance or accident. The devil doesn't seek him out. Instead, Jesus is intentionally led by the Spirit of God into a struggle with the forces that defy God. This isn't the devil's doing, this is the Spirit's doing, at least initially. It would seem like temptation would be something that most of us try to avoid each day, if possible. After all, Jesus taught us to pray even, lead us not into temptation. So it just makes you wonder, why would the Spirit lead Jesus here? I just want to leave that question in the air for a moment. Why would the Spirit lead Jesus here? All of our readings for today invite us to consider the distance that has opened up between us and the God who created us, a gulf that we cannot cross on our own. Our reading from Genesis, our first reading, recalls the primordial story of Adam and Eve, the first humans in the garden. And according to this story, they are surrounded by abundance. They have everything they could ever need. This is supposed to be paradise. They have friendship with God. They have uh, friendship with each other. They are in harmony with all creation. But even in that moment, you know, it makes you think, if you had everything you could ever dream of, would you still want more? Even in that moment, they wanted more. And a serpent begins to whisper to them, you could be more than a creature on God's good earth. You could be like God. One of the insidious things about temptation in our lives and in these stories is that it often sounds so close to the truth. It sounds so close to God's dream, but it isn't quite there 
either. It reminds me uh, of a story um, uh, of, a, of an art dealer in 1983 who came to the Getty in California with this incredibly rare uh, sculpture, uh, sculpture, ancient sculpture from the 6th century BC, uh, and wanted $10 million for it. This is the opening story of Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, if you've ever read that book. Uh, but so this art dealer comes with this incredibly rare statue and says, I want $10 million for it. And so they start to run all these tests on it, right? They're like, well, we'll test the marble to see if it's about the same age. We'll check all the paperwork that came with it to see kind of if we can trace who owned it through the centuries. Most of those things seem to check out, but they had three different art historians separately come in, and as soon as they saw the statue, they said, don't buy the statue, it's a fake. But they had nothing more than their gut feeling to say, like, it's, it just doesn't look right. And so the Getty wasn't exactly sure what to do. Uh, but it turned out over time, that the art historians who were just going off their gut feeling looked at it, it looked close, it looked kind of like it, it passed both the tests, but in the end it was, the story kind of started to fall apart. They discovered they could age the marble with potato mold, some of the paperwork turned out to be fabricated, uh, but just the point being that sometimes something can look so close to what the real thing and just be a little bit off. And I think that's what's strange about both the story in Genesis and the story in the wilderness. Some of the things seem so close to God's dream for us, but they're not quite there. Because in a way, the serpent tells the truth, but in a twisted around way to the first humans. The serpent says, you will be like God, and that's kind of close to the truth. But the serpent leaves out some information. Adam and Eve are already like God, after all. Just a few verses before this, Genesis says they are created in the image and likeness of God. They already have it, but the serpent offers it to them anyways. Part of God's dream is that they would be like God, but the serpent offers them something somehow lesser, as if it were the truth. They are already God's partners in caring for creation, so what the serpent says is close, but just misses the mark. Likewise, the serpent says, you will not die, which in one sense is true. God does not strike them dead on the spot. The serpent seems to kind of call God's bluff here. But when humans become alienated from the source of life, from the one who breathed life into their lungs, death enters the world in a new way. In our gospel readings as well, the temptations of the devil seem close to the truth. You know, this story would be so much easier if the devil offered just, you know, crazy, out-of-this-world things to Jesus, saying, you know, you can have as much money as you want and go to Vegas and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what the, the, the devil offers something a little more insidious, something closer to the truth, but not quite right. The first temptation is for Christ to create sustenance, to transform stones into bread. And our world is full of hungry people. We need more bread. That's why we're collecting food during Lent, right? This doesn't sound like such a bad thing. There are a lot of hungry people, and Jesus himself will later on feed a crowd of 5,000 people. So why not create food now? The second temptation, likewise, seems like an invitation to trust God above all things. If you trust God so much, throw yourself down. God will protect you, the devil says. The devil even quotes the words of Scripture to Jesus. The angels will catch you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Again, this temptation sounds almost right. We are supposed to trust God. It almost sounds like God's dream, but it's not quite there. Finally, the tempter shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world 
and offers them to Christ. This again isn't far off from the truth. Jesus will one day reign over all kingdoms, but Satan offers them to him apart from the way of service and the cross. My point is that temptation is almost an elemental part of our reality. There are a lot of counterfeits. We are like the Getty Museum looking at a $10 million uh, sculpture, but sometimes it turns out to be a fake. Often the temptation is not the obviously bad, but the twisted around good, the good that just misses, misses the mark. There are so many counterfeits for God's dream that it can be hard to know what is right or true. This is why, remember I said we'd come back to that question, why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? And this is where I'm hearing an answer to that today. This is why I think the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness after his baptism. Early Christians treasured this story not because it showed us some kind of insight into Jesus' inner world. I think if we're trying to guess what Jesus was thinking at any given moment, we'll probably just sit here uh, guessing for the rest of eternity. But they treasured this story because it showed Jesus entering the struggle on our behalf and Jesus accomplishing for us what no other human could seem to figure out before him. Jesus refuses all of the counterfeit options that are offered to him and stays true to the vision of God for the universe. That Jesus, and I've said this before too, was congruent with God's will and vision for the world. A vision that places self-giving love and service on the throne. This would seem to be Paul's interpretation in Romans 5, which we had as our second reading. According to him, uh, sin entered the world through these primordial figures, Adam and Eve, through disobedience, through missing the mark just barely. And so in order for this to be overcome, another person came who was able to be congruent with God's dream for the world. The Jesus we have doesn't float above our realities, challenges, or confusions. Instead, Jesus enters the mess. Jesus enters the struggle with temptation on our behalf and comes out on the other side of it. He contends with the forces that defy God all the way to the cross for us, for you. In Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, the, the one verse that says, a champion now rises to fight, struggle alongside us, whom God himself elected, meaning Jesus enters the struggle on our behalf. Several commentators note that Jesus' testing mirrors the testing of Israel in the wilderness. The story quotes Deuteronomy all over the place. In Deuteronomy 8, God reminds the people that they are uh, to spend 40 years in the wilderness in order to test what was in their hearts and whether they would keep the commandments. In the story of Jesus in the wilderness, then, Jesus passes the test that humans before him were not able to pass themselves. Now, most of us have a somewhat negative view of testing. I think it conjures for us, uh, you know, sitting in a classroom and hoping we pass a test. But there's a positive sense, too. I think of all of the testing that's taken place these past few years related to COVID. Having a reliable test can be incredibly useful to weed out what is true and what is false, right? And above all, testing can help us sort out counterfeit options from the real one. And so here at the beginning of Lent, we get this story where Jesus is tested for us on our behalf, and he comes out on the other side. 
In other words, saying this isn't a counterfeit Messiah, this isn't a counterfeit hope, this is the real deal. This is the Messiah that's worth following, that's worth taking up your cross and following. This is the one that can pass the test on our behalf, who can set things right. With Jesus, we begin these practices, these Lenten practices, and there's not a, a rule book for how you practice Lent, but the traditional practices are fasting and almsgiving and prayer and repentance, self-examination. And in some ways, these are preparation for those times of trial, preparation for those times of temptation. That we enter with Jesus into this wilderness time, trusting that if we follow him, we will get the real deal. And so I invite you, encourage you to engage this Lent, looking to Christ, the one who enters the struggle on our behalf, a champion whom God elected for us. Amen.
please be seated. Since we weren't able to uh, impose ashes on Wednesday, we are now providing an opportunity for those of you who would like uh, to receive ashes this Lent uh, to come forward. Uh, you can come forward, and if you would like it on your head, I, I, I would be happy if you would gesture towards that, uh, or if you'd like it on your hand, hold out your hand. Um, and if you prefer not to have ashes today, you, you may stay in your, in your seat. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. May these ashes be a sign of our mortality and penitence, reminding us that only by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ are we given eternal life. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.
Accomplish in us, O God, the work of your salvation, that we may show forth your glory in the world. By the cross and passion of your Son, our Savior, bring us with all your saints to the joy of his resurrection. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. We do not know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us. With sighs, with sighs too deep for words. With sighs, with sighs too deep for words. Please rise. Give vision and wisdom to bishops, their staffs, and all entrusted with the Ministry of Administration. We lift up especially our office administrator, Dina Hipke. Counsel all who faithfully lead your people into the future. Merciful God, receive our prayer. You create verdant gardens and expansive deserts. Tend to the needs of every living creature Bless those who work in fields and orchards, especially the gardeners and farmers of our community, that the world is nourished by the fruits of their labor. Merciful God, receive our prayer. You know our temptations. Sustain those who govern and legislate. Instill in them a sense of your justice and righteousness, that equity and peace would pervade all the regions and nations of the world. Merciful God, you're a hiding place for all in distress. Draw near to exile and accompany all refugees and immigrants, especially children who travel alone in times of trouble, trauma, or illness. Surround your people with your steadfast love, especially Doris, Judy, Sharon, Jim, and those we name now aloud or silently. Merciful God, receive our prayer. You offer abundance to all. Bless the ministries of hospitality in this place. Care for those who tend to the needs of others, especially worship greeters, coffee hour hosts, and nursery attendants. We pray for Chuck and our ushers and for the members of our lay ministry and congregational life commissions. Merciful God, receive our prayer. You alone are God. We praise you for the faithful departed in every age. Unite our prayers with, their, with theirs until our wilderness journey is complete and we rest in you. Merciful God, receive our prayer. We lift our prayers to you, O God, trusting in your steadfast love and your promise to renew your whole creation. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let us greet one another with a sign of this spirit-filled peace. The peace of Christ be with you always. And always. Let's take a moment to share a sign of peace with those around you.
Please stand as you are able. Let us pray. Generous God, we give you praise. Hallelujah. You freed the widow from her debt by transforming a small jar of oil into countless overflowing vessels. You liberate us from sin and death by the abundance at this table. Multiply these gifts and fill us with your spirit so that we may embody Christ and enflesh your radical freedom. God is here, the Spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Holy One and Holy Three. Now we give thanks for all we have received through the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. With all heaven and earth, we shout with joy. All thanks and praise are yours, O God, for in Christ you became incarnate in a human body. By your flesh we are freed from sin, death, and all that holds us captive. You have been revealed to us as the one who breathes, and you breathe into us new life. Therefore, we breathe your loving spirit. With the prophet Ezekiel, we cry out. We remember on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body, given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave for all to drink, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Groaning in expectation with all of creation, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has 
has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Breath of God, in this bread and cup, you bring new life to this community. May your spirit intercede for us with sighs too deep for words, so that we might be made one body in Christ. Breathe, oh breathe, breathe upon us that we may live. Revive our faith, infuse us with your peace, and reveal to us your justice, so that we might witness to the resurrection in all that we say and in all that we do. All thanks and praise to you, O God, Holy One and Holy Three. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught his friends to pray. Heavenly God, giver of life, holy is your name, your realm come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For you reign in power and glory, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated while we share some instructions for communion. To communion today, you'll come to the side aisles and come forward. For at the front of the side aisles, there are these two tables where you'll pick up an empty cup and bring it with you to the railing where it'll be filled with wine. Uh, you'll receive bread as well at the railing, but if you need gluten-free or grape juice, those are also at these two side tables. Just pick them up on your way and bring them to the railing. After communing at the railing, you'll return down the center aisle and place your cup in the, in the bowl here by the center aisle. And we want all friends, guests, and visitors to know that you are welcome to commune with us today because this is the Lord's table and the invitation comes to you from Christ. We extend our communion and our fellowship uh, to those joining us online or by phone, we are glad to be gathered today with you around the presence of Christ. Just briefly before the invitation for communion, after the invitation, we'll be doing Grace Upon Grace, which is this liturgy's uh, Lamb of God. And I'm going to be singing the leader part, so I'm not going to start communing people until after we sing that. So uh, just to give you that uh, heads up. Receive this invitation to communion. Wisdom has prepared the food, poured the wine, and set her table. She calls, come, all are welcome to eat and drink. Grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, peace upon peace given for you. The word made flesh dwells among us, full of grace and truth. Grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, peace upon peace given for you. Behold our 
our Savior who frees us from the sin of the world. Grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, peace upon peace given.
please stand as you are able. May the body and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ strengthen, keep, and unite us now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Embodied God at your table, we have tasted the goodness of Jesus. With the eyes of our hearts open to your promise, empower us to hear the needs of our neighbors and touch the world with your love. May the blessing of our wonderful Maker, who wove your body in the depths of the earth, hems you in, behind and before, and will knit you back together, be with you today and every day. Amen. Go in peace. You are already made whole.